you're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here with your Murder Mystery World Tour. Here, talking about Seicho Matsumoto's <gasps> Inspector Imanishi Investigates, chapters 9 to 13. Oh my goodness. And, oh man, listen, I feel like I feel like that's a, a vocalization I have to do at the start of every episode, just that, oh man, because... It's just it's just that way of reading murder mystery in the modern day. There's so many clever, intelligent puzzles that come around and just leave you with a void of words to describe them. Mm. And Seicho Matsumoto's Inspector Imanishi Investigates so far has really been something that has amazed me, Herds. I don't mm. know about you, but this is this is the first book we've ever read on this show where I have I've said out loud while reading it, this is awful. I no. want more. That's interesting. <laughs> I don't know that I've quite had that impression, but I am. I am enjoying myself. I'm enjoying getting to watch this this crazy man, this detective Imanishi, go to to hell and beyond uh-huh. to try and solve this seemingly indecipherable case. Yes, uh, of the death of of Miki. That's his name. Yes, this old man that was dead. Miki Kenichi. Kenichi. Miki Kenichi is a good name. I I will say. Just while we're just while we're on the subject of Imanishi and what a what a crazy man he is, mm-hmm. he is very like neglectful of his family, and I don't appreciate that. He is he he is like he comes home, his wife asks him if he likes some tea, he sits down to have the tea, and then says, "Aha! I've uncovered something. I need to go right this second. He's an awful, awful husband." My and favorite, father. my favorite was right before he goes to the hot springs in the last chapter. Here, there's a, like a, a note <laughs> yes. where he thinks to himself, "Oh goodness, I've never taken my wife." to the yeah, hot springs she and calls then, him out on it he she calls him out on it but then like two paragraphs later is like oh but it's so charming the way he's so dedicated to his work That's this is awful. why i married him and no. it's like girl you chat you got chat girl you chat to the lover's mouth you need to get out of there let him and Ishii be married to his his murder his, his murder solving mm-hmm. you need to move on with your life but yeah no him and Ishii i find fascinating as a detective because he is so so active, I yeah. guess, and he also is very much a um, a lone wolf in in a sense. Like he he gets a lot of work done on his own without you know pulling on a contact. You know, like that's the very Sherlockian thing where you say, "Well, I need to track this person down. I need need a dog, so I'll go to the local dog man and get a dog for them." And, da, 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 da. and you know, the dog man, yep. and that's how you introduce your I side remember characters. The dog man, well, but but rather than uh, the detective seeking out side characters and witnesses to interrogate, as we were saying last week, the side characters tend to just appear in the story, do a thing, mm. and then Imanishi finds out about it later. Mm. It's it's a very kind of backwards way of introducing your extended cast of characters, I feel. Yeah. But I kind of like it. I no, like it for a change. I, I think part of the reason that it feels so obscure and, as I say, just bad but I want more, <laughs> which, which really, the book's great. Don't, uh-huh. don't worry. It's just it's... me talking a bit of trash. Good. I think that part of it is that it, it's in some ways so plausible, but it also means that the story just feels like it's flailing a little bit. A little bit. Uh, it, it, it's like, a bit unfocused in it, places. It comes yeah. across, uh, yeah, unfocused and mm. also perhaps less confident in the characters that it has. Like mm. we go off and we meet that old guy who builds abacuses, yep. you know, and he keeps popping up in the story and sends Imanishi an abacus. I wasn't expecting him to come back, honestly. No, like, uh, he doesn't really seem like a main character, but no. he's gotten just as much screen time, at least in text form, as, as Al Watson has. Yeah, so. he's like the only <laughs> character that's really recurred, aside from the yeah. main cast of Imanishi, his it's wife, very... and Watson. Basically, it feels like uh, <laughs> Seicho Matsumoto kind of brought him back because he had so much fun writing him, but then 
on the counter side of that, it feels like some of the other characters that he had, he didn't like enjoy writing them as much. Yeah. Um, so only the information that they brought up is ever brought up again. Like the guy who saw uh, the woman, you know, throwing scraps of paper that ended up being a bloody shirt out the window. Yep. That character's information is brought up all the time and the imagery of it is great, but the character is just lost to the wind, much like that shirt. It keeps you guessing, I guess. It does. I it suppose. does. Because you're never sure what elements of the story are going to be important. Um, although I will say as somebody who has read a lot of murder mysteries, I think I'm starting to see the code, see the matrix, but, <laughs> but the story is specifically designed so that you're, you're never sure which interaction or which line or which newspaper clipping is going to be the one that cracks yeah. the case, which one is going to come back later. The mm. fact that that abacus guy comes back later and doesn't really do anything, but is still like present in the case, uh, it throws you for a loop because yeah. then you're saying, oh, well, what other characters have we seen that might actually be important now, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, the other one that was really frustrating is when we go to the theaters and it turns out oh my we're, we're looking back at why Miki Kanishi went to the theaters twice and then changed his holiday plans, which was what led to him coming to Tokyo and getting murdered. Mm-hmm. And we spend what feels like an inordinate amount of time on it. We go to the theaters and then oopsie daisies, the theaters are too busy, so now we have to wait around for an for extra day. Days. Oh my goodness. And it, it never amounts to anything. No. It doesn't help build the tension in the same way that the parts of time passing earlier in the story were. The gravity of time passing kind of starts to become lost. It was really effective at the beginning of the story. The criminal only seems to strike when the detective approaches. So part of the tension of the story becomes, can Imanishi close in on it without more people getting hurt? And I think that scenes like that one in the theater undermine that very effective building of the tension. I mean, I mean, you're right. I feel like it is it is doing the opposite of building tension that moment. If, mm. if anything, it's imparting on us the fact that like Imanishi really is just watching these old movies that he has no interest in yeah. and is just spending time, you know, looking through every like grain of detail, you yeah. know, these multi hour long documentaries and action movies and whatever yeah. that he doesn't care about, but there doesn't seem to be anything in there. Like I've, I've gone over those yeah. sections multiple times and the, the only clue that we come away with really is that none of the actors and none of the characters that he mm. sees on screen remind him of, of anybody. Yeah. So the, whatever he, whatever Imanishi was looking for in the moment was not there. That's like the clue that we come away yeah, with. Yeah, and you know? that, that kind of tries to build on the same stretch of time tension as in part one, but fails to capitalize on the approaching the answers tension that part two is more strong with. Yeah. Well, curiously, I, I want to say, I think the moment that, that the tension peaked was, was of course, just before this with yeah. the, the death of Emiko, which I want to say I almost stopped reading the novel when this chapter came around. I was absolutely horrified. It was pretty grim. Tragic. Like, I just I just thought that maybe with a chapter called A Woman Dies or whatever it is, that maybe it wouldn't be Emiko. Maybe she'd just be fine and everything would work out okay, but it wasn't fine and you're not okay. And now I feel sad. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I literally had a moment where I was like, I don't know if I want to keep like reading through this because um, as I was saying, I don't think that Imanishi is a protagonist of this story. I think that Sekigawa makes a much better proponent for protagonists. Simply that because is of fascinating. How, you don't agree? You, was, you were going to say somebody else? No, I wasn't going to say anybody else. I was going to say that the novel almost builds uh, to the point where we're kind of floating with without a protagonist no. where Imanishi no. doesn't really have enough of a self-characterization to be a hero in any mm-hmm. sense. He's sure. kind of, he's ordinary, um, but not building up towards being a champion mm-hmm. in the same way that you sure. nor- normally expect the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. And Sekigawa, like 
I, I think you know? he, he would have made a good anti-hero if it sure. felt like he was actually building towards character development. Yeah, I guess so. Like, it, so far it just seems Look, like who, who he knows? is a manipulative man who <sighs> has, you know, this girl. Loves a girl. This, yeah, and kills her, you know. There's there's nothing to latch onto as a protagonist there, which is why I think he's I a bizarre so. choice. I don't know. I like protagonists who are scummy and manipulative, so maybe that's my own bias leaking in here. I mean, it definitely is. I also like romance stories, <laughs> so definitely. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. I, right, so I when like Heard says he's the hero of this story, now you all know what he means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just, I actually feel like I've been finding more information and more, um, you know, more insight into the author's intent and that sort of thing from Sekigawa's story as well. Yeah. So I'm always looking forward to getting another peek into his and Emiko's situation and seeing, you know, how are they tackling the most, the most recent bend in the case or yeah. what are they up to? Because I feel like the way that Sekigawa is characterized, especially as he, he doesn't seem to be so much of a hero anymore. Not that he ever truly was a hero, but like he was sympathetic yeah. up to a point, which we'll, we'll talk about later, I'm sure. But I always was looking forward to seeing, you know, what were they going to do next? Is Emiko going to be okay? Can yeah. these two like basically underdog Starcross lovers get away with it or not? Mm. Um, unfortunately, the answer is no. <laughs> so I will be stopping. I will not be reading any more of the novel now. My answers have been have been given. Oh, Bye. I'm out. Have you? No, you gave them off mic to me just so I could fact check. No, I meant we the in. answers of what happens with the romance story. Oh, I don't actually okay. care about the mystery. I don't right. care about no, the that's romance. Fine. Well, yeah. uh, okay. Well, so, next you know. week on the show we'll be talking. <laughs> no, have you even no. picked our next novel, Hurts? Not yet. No. Okay. Well, you got, you got a week to do it. I got a week to do it. It's plenty of time. You're listening to Death of the Reader. We are discussing Seicho Matsumoto's Inspector Imanishi Investigates, chapters nine to thirteen. We'll be back in just a moment with more of that. You're on 2SER 107.3. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex here with you, and I am joined on the line by Ben Sanders, author of The Devils You Know, the Marshall Grade series, and Sean Devereaux. So good to have you here, Ben. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to talk to you. So you've said before that the start of a story is always the most energizing for you with two, three book long series out in the open. How freeing was it to getting to start a new grimy slate with Vincent? Oh, I mean, it was exciting. I mean, I always love the start of a book you know the 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 blank page is basically the perfect story so you know the the opening opening chapter let alone the opening chapter of a, of a brand new story with a brand new character is um always just potently appealing to to a writer but um yeah it was, it was exciting to to be working with something that was outside a series and yes, something, something that was brand new. So you throw Vincent's ethics right up against the wall from the very start with flashbacks to his time in the Middle East, as well as his no guns policy put to the test as soon as we explore his new boss, Eugene Lamar's house. How do you try to strike a balance between the action oriented nature of a crime thriller and the hefty politics and philosophy that Vincent has to come to terms with? Yeah, well, it was an interesting balance, and it it, um, it it took a little bit of draft and and drafting and revision to to sort of get it right. I mean, the the challenge is you want someone who's sufficiently uninhibited to be able to you know um, carry this sort of story and 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 rely on his um, his covert op skills to a certain extent. And so um, it was quite an interesting creative writing process to try and strike just the right balance between, you know, Vincent using a bit of force and, and, and being physically proactive, you might say, and, and also second guessing himself and 
obviously been tethered somewhat by by past experience and, and, and those flashbacks that you allude to. And I mean, you're talking in there about him being uninhibited, and I think that that comes really good in the flow that the novel has. There's a great balance between him just constantly moving through the story and the short chapters that cut away from his perspective, and it all slots in really neatly as the different players move around. Did you have to move different pieces of the story around in the timeline while you're writing the book, or does that flow come naturally in the way you visualize before you write? It comes pretty naturally. Um, I... I don't have an outline for how I write. I'm, I'm, I'm very instinctive, and and the balance between perspectives is, um, yeah, as I say, instinctive. I'll I'll, I'll stay. I'll, I'll write from one character's perspective for a couple of chapters, and then you know realize that I I, I haven't you, you know visited you know another character for a little while, and I you know switch perspectives purely for the um, for the sake of balance and and, and wanting to keep each story thread alive. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's generally the case that I, I finished the first draft and, uh, you know, the book's sort of 85 or, or 90% complete in, in terms of its overall structure. Yeah, I think uh, the novel that we're covering on the show broadly at the moment, Inspector Imanishi Investigates by Seicho Matsumoto, has a really interesting approach to something that I thought contrasted really well with your writing in The Devils You Know, where the entire story of The Devils You Know takes place over such a short uh, period of time. You know, the characters in the story keep referencing, oh, that thing that happened yesterday. And I thought to myself, wait, wasn't that like a week ago? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Whereas uh, Seicho Matsumoto has his story take place over months. You know, how can you use the intensity of that short time period to build up the significance of the events in a story like The Devils, you know? Well, I've always felt that the compressed time frame really lent itself well to to significance and, and, and certainly to tension, um, you know, I, I really like that, um, you know, that, that feeling of urgency that you get from, you know, things happening in, in, in very rapid sequence. I think, um, you, you know, sort of the, the high mark of the genre in terms of the, the compressed time frame is, is the film Collateral where, you know, the whole story takes place over sort of 12 hours, I suppose. Watching that film was it was probably quite a, a formative experience for me in, in terms of my storytelling. And, and looking back, um, you, you know, it's a feature of most of my novels that the, you know the action actually takes place over no more than than two or three days. And um, I, I don't think necessarily that it's you know something that I set out to do. It just seems to be a, a natural feature of my storytelling as a as a result of the kinds of um, stories I like to consume. But I, I really like the effect of, um, you know, the, the sort of frenetic quality of, of you know, one thing and then, and then the next in, in very rapid succession. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned Collateral, and I've heard you talk in interviews before about, you know, James Elroy and Elmore Leonard, and you say the stories you like to consume in that. And I think that one thing that came across really well in this book is how well you use a kind of cinematic toolkit to picture your surroundings, even though everything's told through, you know, written as third person, but very much through the lens of Vincent, you can still kind of almost feel the camera off to the side pointing uh, where it would be in a movie. Is that influence from film something that has led to a uniqueness to your style? Or do you think that that's kind of a general shift in terms of the prevalence of just movies in uh, influencing writers? Well, I, I don't know. I think it, it, it may very well be that, just as a consequence of, of watching great films and, and TV, I've, I've developed this, um, I don't know, a, a cinematic 
style, I suppose, but um, it's, it's always been the way that my brain works when it, when it tells a story. You know, a, a story comes to me really vividly in my head uh, as a, an image that's, you know, so, so real it could be a memory rather than something that's been conjured up. And, and so the process of writing for me is, is describing what I see in my head you know, as, as opposed to actually, you know, coming up with a description that will then evoke an image that, that seems convincing. Um, and, and so, I, I, yeah, I, I guess just as a result of that natural mental process and, and the way that I write, it, it, it gives it a very cinematic quality, I think. I'm, I'm, I'm just describing what I see in the head, which I think is probably a, um, a big advantage. Yeah. And also in The Devils You Know, Vincent claims at some point in the story that clean endings are rubbish. And is that your own philosophy creeping into his mouth or do thrillers always need to leave the last page a little grimy? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, it's up to the individual author, but um, I, I, and, and I, I wasn't making a, a, a philosophical or, or stylistic claim, but I, I think it was sort of more a, a tongue-in-cheek suggestion that um, you know that particular story wasn't gonna wasn't gonna end up you know rosy if you like. It definitely didn't end where I expected it. I was I was left hanging on the last page for a moment, thinking to myself, "Did that? Did he really just end it that way?" <laughs> yeah. I, I suppose really it's um, I suppose it, it is you know truer to to real life. Uh, you know the, the you know not having a, a perfectly clean ending. I mean it's a. Again, it's a, an interesting balance to try and strike. I have to be mindful of the fact that, you know, a lot of people read this genre and, and read my books, you know, um, you know, frankly for escapism and, and for wanting a narrative structure that, that starts at equilibrium, um, you know, goes through a bit of mayhem and, and ultimately sees, you know, the, the bad guy get his comeuppance and, and everything restored to order. But um, at the same time, I suppose it's, it's it's nice to have you know things resolved in a in an imperfect manner. So it's uh, yeah, it's interesting to try and try and strike that balance. Yeah, it's it's really interesting hearing you describe that process and how it very much seems. I'm sure there's a level of refinement to it, but it very much seems like these ideas you know just form themselves for you, and that's something that. I think I think a fair few writers have, but you've expressed it in a pretty unique way that I've not heard before. Yeah, it's um, it's funny when it, when the process is is working really well, it's it's almost like um, it's almost like taking dictation, describing something that's that's popped up and popped in my head. It's um, yeah, it's pretty unusual. It's one of the interesting things about you know one of one of one of the great things really about being interviewed is it, it actually makes me you know, reflect carefully on the process and, and make me, you know, and make me realize, oh, maybe not all writers are the same. Whereas, you know, when I started out, I assumed, oh, well, that's how, that's how everyone writes, but it's um, obviously not necessarily the case. And finally, before we go, Vincent obviously has quite the journey through this novel, which I won't spoil, but getting to the end, I was wondering to myself, is there a, is there a step forward for Vincent or is this his one-off adventure? Are we going to see more of Vincent in your writing? Yeah, well, I, I haven't actually thought that far ahead. The, the intention with him when I started out was that he was going to be a, a standalone character. But um, as I say, the the, um, the response to him has been 
you know, um, flatteringly positive. So it may be that I, I have to bring him out again for a, a, another very reluctant mission. <laughs> it sounds fantastic. Ben, thank you so much for joining us here on Death of the Reader. It has been a privilege speaking with you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. You can get The Devils You Know in print, ebook, or as an audiobook from Alan and Unwin. And thank you very much to their team for sending it over early for me to read. I can thoroughly recommend it. You're listening to Death of the Reader. We are discussing Seicho Matsumoto's Inspector Imanishi Investigates, and we will be back with more of that in just a second. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here discussing Seicho Matsumoto's Inspector Imanishi Investigates, chapters 9 to 13. And Herds, it is now your turn to oh, solve the first mystery I of can't. the year as we begin our triple or nothing game, which I will reiterate, it's <laughs> not a game where you get three points or you get no points. It's a game where you get three points or at the end of the year, the person with the lowest score goes to zero. Uh-huh. Herds is currently already on zero after losing I last this, year's guys. game. I got this, <laughs> So here's hoping we even cover enough novels for you to gain back the ground. You know what? It, it- I've, I always thought of myself as a charming underdog, so I feel like <laughs> I'm right at home in this situation. Now, before we oh, begin, Herds, yeah. I do want to say I will give you two points for solving this mystery oh, overall. God. Oh, no. And I want to give you uh, one extra point specifically for answering a couple of extra clues. Oh, come on. And what they mean in the story. What is this? But we'll do it at the end of the segment so I do not lead the witness. This is garbage. This okay. is garbage. Okay, sure. I guess I'll just get stuck in then. I think... Last last time we talked, uh, you you poked me a bit on the precise manner of murder. Uh-huh. It's pretty clear to me that the first two uh, murder victims were, you know what I mean? The first two characters who were not the murder person who were like, oh, I dropped dead from a heart attack and I took drugs and died. And now we've got a new murder victim who's... Died baby from, exploded inside them and killed them baby. in the process? Yeah, I. this is all hogwash. This is some device X nonsense. It's very grotesque. I'm going to lay that out there. So here's the thing. There's a scene, because I don't think it's a chemical. It is some kind of awful device X that is I hate. Uh, and it's definitely against all, against all of Van Dyne and <laughs> and Knox and everything, and even Chandler, I think, in there somewhere. Fair enough. Is against all the all the rules. Okay. Uh, I thought for a while that it was some kind of electric shocking device that um, would have left that would have left something the coroner could have. This seen. is the thing. It would have left burn marks and like you know popped nerves or whatever. I don't, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but it would have left some marks. The last time I had a murder mystery of such a of, of such a case, it was bioterrorism. But I don't think that's what we're dealing with here. We don't have any bioterrorists or scientists, but we do have a bunch of arts people, um, including uh, a music composer who I thought was actually our killer here. Now, there is an article, uh, a newspaper article that is discussed, and I hate that I'm even oh, saying this. No, there God, is a no, newspaper article that is discussed. Don't say it, don't say it out loud. No. Um, in, in a scene where Imanishi and his sister and his wife are talking about how sometimes the previews of movies are more important than the actual movies themselves because all the important bits are in the previews. Yep. In that same chapter, there is a preview of a newspaper discussing a new ultrasonic method of boring holes in 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 metals yes. and like aluminium, alum, whatever it is. Point is, I think this is our murder weapon. I thought about, you know, who would want to kill Emiko, and the answer is nobody. Um, also, if you're trying to kill someone, why wouldn't you actually kill them before the, the, the ambulance showed up? So it's an accidental death. It's manslaughter. But I do believe that the device that was used to kill Emiko accidentally is the same one that killed the other murder victims. 
and it's some kind of ultrasonic gun device. Okay, now <laughs> that, the ultrasonic gun yes. that you're describing hurts. Yes. The the advertising thing is for is for dealing with metals. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've ever seen video of uh-huh. devices of this type. Uh-huh. Um, and it looks very spectacular, uh-huh. mind you. You think that a cleaning device used for shaking the outer skin off metal? Hold on now. Could be a the news, murder weapon? The newspaper article specifically says it's used to bore holes in things. I think that the author is taking some creative liberties Okay, here. it's used to bore holes in things. Why are there then no holes in the victims? I don't know. It's like a lower frequency or something. Like, I, I don't... I'm not sure. This is some device X nonsense and I hate it. But I truly believe because Waga is a music composer, he's like... Using sound waves to create murder weapons. I'm I am convinced of this. Um, and you, we're boring on science fiction here. You uh, like, yeah. <laughs> what do you I, say? I don't know <laughs> how you've come to this conclusion, Herds. What I'm going with outrageous. I think I think that this is where the story has to lead. Well, if if it was a case of being you know murdered with magical sound device X, yeah. Why was Miki Kanichi then abandoned with his face bashed in under a train? You know what? May- maybe the original murder victim wasn't killed with this. Uh, that's entirely possible. That's entirely possible. You know, now, now you mentioned the head bashing. Okay. And be- um, beyond all of this, because like we're too far down the device X rabbit hole to come back, cards. This is quite yeah. honestly outrageous. Yes. Why does Waka do this? Like, obviously you said the marriage thing yeah. previously, but what do all of up. these characters have to do with anything with his marriage? Noriko and, uh, and what's-his-face, Miata, assisted him in his plan to, like, kill uh, the character who I assume is his father, Miki. Okay, why would he kill his father? Because he doesn't want to be connected to, to that guy. A good Miki police was... officer from rural Japan? Yeah, he doesn't want to be connected to his, like, old life or whatever. I just, I don't understand why... Wago would feel the need to do that because when you look at the way that we describe the family of his fiance, like at no point is it ever really shown that they have any concerns about his heritage. Like I, I am along for the ride with the idea that he wants to protect his lineage. I do not think that it quite makes sense to escalate that to murder given what the story has shown us. I cannot say that this has perfect foreshadowing and everything lines up in a neat little bow look i don't know what to tell you dude it's just it's just the themes of the story there's, i can't believe all this talk about family and how important it is i agree and like with Imanishi that and stuff look i look i'm not a real policeman i don't actually need evidence to lock one oh up. i see so i can i can read him like a book so you're going That's for device x and motive x in <laughs> one move Look, I've already said the motive is to like keep his his old life truly from coming back to him. Truly, a bold play. The, the, it, look, honestly, the only thing I can pull from in in the most recent chapter, Imanishi goes and he like he gets a bunch of evidence that isn't in my mind fully fleshed out, which uh-huh. is annoying to me. But there's mention of a sanatorium, and he's like, "Where's this Hideo guy?" Uh, I think that Hideo is Waga, uh, and that he like hung out with a, this. Uh, Sick man, look, it's a bit jumbled is the problem. There's a lot of stuff going on in the story. So far, what you've said is Waga wants to cover up his connection to a good man. No, who serves the pub- man. Who, to a good man who serves the public office no. while he's engaged to the daughter of a, you know, a public oh, official. Okay. Uh, an ex-shadow cabinet minister. Thank you very much. So, I remember details. So really, that feels like something that his 
future father-in-law would respect. But I think uh, if you're pinning it on- uh, Sure. If, you know, if, if that's the detail you want, I thought that him being poor was enough and like clearly not of the same family that Waga is in right now, that he's like living a lie. I thought that was the important part, but sure. I will at least not sit here and grill you into the ground. Aside from, okay. I said I was going to give you a couple of clues that you I'm had to work out. What is this nonsense? All right. So uh, first of all, why was it that Miki Kanichi came back to Tokyo? And what do the unemployment charts that Imanishi keeps bringing up have to do with any of this? The best guess that I have, because as I said, the clue that we got, you know, we watched all those movies mm-hmm. and he, you know, Imanishi couldn't see any of the actors, but maybe it wasn't an actor that he should have been looking for. Maybe it was the name of the composer of the music. And then you have absolutely no guess for the unemployment <laughs> figures in the stock market. Well, the what stock that- market stuff mentioned that like, metal and industry stocks were going up, which okay. I assume is to do with Waga's scheme to get rich quick with his sound gun. Well, I'm sorry. It's just, it's too advanced for my brain. I can't handle it. It's too much sci-fi. Yeah. After beginning last year <laughs> with quite frankly, annihilating one of the most famous murder mystery puzzles of all time. Uh, I am appalled. Uh, that this is how we're beginning this year oh with a no. device X and nearly falling on motive X until I pushed you a little bit. We'll see how it turns Whatever, out. Whatever, dude. Listen, I, I have faith in your ability to solve murder mysteries, Herds, but this is going to be a rough few chapters for you to read as we continue on through the rest of this book. No, look, I'm down for it. This is a very strange book for me. <laughs> I'm excited to read it and find out what the heck was going on. Next week on the show, we will be covering chapters 14 to 17, the final stretch of chapters in Inspector Imanishi Investigates by Seicho Matsumoto. And of course, we'll be telling you the title of our next book as we press on through... 2021. Thank you so much for joining us here on Death of the Reader. Herds, best of luck. Oh, thank you. I'm going to need it. (laughs) This is Death of the Reader here on 2SER 107.3.